Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 109 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. I am your host, Chris Cato. I'm really glad to be joined by the full house tonight of my fellow backmarkers, Tyler and Shaker. After Shaker's been away for a couple of episodes, I'm going to bring them in in just a minute. We're going to be recapping the 2021 French Grand Prix today, which was a really, really thrilling race, which I can't wait to talk about. But first, of course, just a couple of messages from our sponsors. Support for the Backmarkers F1 show is brought to you by Manscaped, who is the best men's below-the-waist grooming champions of the world. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Manscaped just launched their fourth-generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. You can join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you guys. You can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping when you use the code BMF1SHOW at manscaped.com. And we can vouch for this ourselves, and I know Tyler and Shaker, you can too. The craftsmanship and the details on this trimmer is exceptional. And really one of the best things that I've found about it so far is the fact that you got this wireless charging point. It makes the battery last much longer, and it's just not so much of a hassle with all those cords and all that crap that you usually get with your normal razors. And as we all know, just like in the F1 world, it's all about being as aerodynamically efficient as possible, and the Lawnmower 4.0 will help you do just that with its efficient and innovative functionality. And really, one of the best things too is the little LED light that you get so you never miss a spot. You know, you don't want to be uncomfortable like those F1 drivers always adjusting themselves before getting in the car. So use our offer, BMF1Show at manscaped.com to get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. And you make sure that you're using all the right tools, courtesy of our friends at Manscaped. So thank you very much for Manscaped for offering our viewers with that great discount. And of course, we've got also our longtime sponsor of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast, the gpbox.com. And you can find exclusive discount codes in the video description and the podcast description down below. They've actually redone their website just recently. It looked great before. Now it looks even better. It's phenomenal. You can get the best F1 memorabilia, merchandise, art, phone cases, anything motorsport related. You'll find it there on the gpbox.com. So please check those links down in the description below. So thank you very much to both of our sponsors that are supporting the Backmarkers F1 show. Okay, so now that we've got the business all out of the way early on, I can now bring in my two fellow co-hosts, Tyler McDonald and Shaker Barty. Tyler, coming to you from Ottawa as well. Good evening to you. How are you doing today? Good evening, Chris, and uh, sporting my Lille jersey today. Uh, it's the champions of France. I figured since they just raced in France, we're the, uh, the champions of France represent so uh auto born jonathan david on the team killing it in uh in liga so well done to him uh local guy but uh no i'm doing well it's nice to have another race to talk about it's a, a solid race as well uh summer is coming along here in ottawa so we're yeah, getting ready for some summertime tanning some golf <laughs> lots of golf i just came from the golf course today um so no enjoying it just ready to uh ready to chill out and enjoy the summer Excellent. And making a return after a couple of weeks away from the podcast is Shaker Barty joining us from the interesting city of Sudbury, Ontario, uh, here away on a work assignment, Shaker, but you've been able to make some time for us, which we appreciate. So how you doing, man? Good, man. It's uh, I finally got a work schedule that works out with their podcast where I'm not like working till like 12 o'clock at night. So it's great. I'm happy to be back, off, you know, here from a different city, you know, in a hotel room. So yeah, no, I'm I'm just glad to be back, and you know, after such an exciting race, man. 
Yeah, and who 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 would have thought we'd be telling saying that about the French Grand Prix of all? Right. <laughs> Right. I uh, I had a buddy who didn't watch the race and he was going to watch it later. And he was like, yeah, like I'll, I'll do this. And I got to go watch Paul Ricard. I was like, yo, man, normally I would say don't bother to watch Paul Ricard, but like you have to watch this one. Like it was so good. I didn't ruin anything for him. And literally he came back. He was, that was honestly like the best race I've ever seen. Like, like, like just inter- for Paul Ricard, obviously, but you know, it was fantastic. It provided everything I wanted in a race. Maybe, you know, no DNFs, but that's that's great like <laughs> interesting you actually bring that up it was only the 10th time in formula one history mm-hmm. that we haven't had a dnf which is pretty crazy because i feel like there was more but there's just sort of i guess what we expect from paul ricard being such a safe and open track but let's get right into it and yeah what a thrilling race it was and i think personally a significant race in the championship because obviously verstappen and rebel have won races before this season it was their third victory uh, of course, Max Verstappen's third victory, Red Bull's fourth altogether. But Christian Horner before going into the race after taking pole position said, if we can beat Mercedes here, we can beat them anywhere. So meaning this being a Mercedes track, they were kind of the favorites heading into the weekend. And they really kind of just stole a victory from them and won a race that necessarily they really shouldn't have won. So I think that this is possibly a very significant momentum shift in the championship because it seems like Red Bull have kind of really gotten on top of the setup of the car in terms of being able to maximize their straight line speed, but also maintaining some good downforce and also limiting Mm -hmm. the tire degradation. But the strategy was really the big, big talking point of this race. And Tyler, it was really interesting because just a few weeks ago, we were criticizing Red Bull and their strategy calls early in the season, in particular in the Spanish Grand Prix, and it was essentially almost completely rolls reversed from Spain, and Red Bull pulled off another masterclass. Can, can, yeah. I, can I add something before we get a Tyler start thing? You know, just just this one comment. You know how some people play say, you know, this guy was playing chess and this guy was playing checkers? <laughs> Red Bull was playing fucking Uno, man. <laughs> the reverse Uno card. Reverse card. <laughs> you know, That's Shaker? It. That's all. That was my line, and I was just about to say it, and you stole it from me. Just like, just like how Red Bull stole that win from Mercedes. So well, well done to you. Strategy is well done. Uh, <laughs> but no, you're 100 percent right. Like it, they full on played the Uno reverse card and and did the did a Mercedes uh, to Red Bull. So uh, no, well done from them. It was really impressive to see how yeah, I think Christian Horner or, or maybe it was Max's um, engineer said uh you know it's, it's nice to be the hunter this time or maybe max said that i'm not sure it was well, yeah not... it was gp his race engineer it, it was gp okay yeah so yeah nice to be the hunter this time which is 100 true i mean you could tell how hamilton wasn't too happy and what really intrigued me i'm sure we'll get into this is the amount of frustration from both the mercedes drivers to their team um i guess both the both of them said this was going to be a two-stop race and the strategist still kept them on a one stop so very interesting, and I would love to be a fly on the wall of that uh, that team meeting after the race because I'm sure there's two heated drivers not very happy with their engineers and their strategists. But uh, to say the least, uh, Red Bull fully deserved that with their strategy call and kind of got one back on Mercedes, which is nice. So the score is 2-1 to one for Mercedes. Red Bull get one back on the strategy call for the uh, hunting versus hunted. And, <laughs> no, I, uh, think it, well, I think it's 2-2, two to two, man. The 2-2? Two two? can't. We can't discredit Sir, uh, Perez's win from the last race. I think that's I think that's a strategy call that they ended up winning. Okay, because Max was going to win anyways, but because of the car thing. 
I was going for like for like Hamilton versus Verstappen. Oh, so, like, okay, okay, sorry. You can throw Perez in there, <laughs> fair enough. But like, yeah, no, I I would agree with that as well. Yeah, um, I I've already kind of made my comments on this. Like, yeah, I I thought it was great. Uh, I my biggest thing uh, I mentioned it way before. Uh, you know, almost everything uh, every race this year is that that Sergio and Max Verstappen partnership. Man, mm. holy crap! Like, it's just everything that Red Bull was missing the last few seasons in terms of a solid partnership, like they have in Sergio. You know, he can he can carry it out till the very end, hold off people. And then he can even come back and you know throw a little uh, throw a little fire under Valtteri for for the last final few laps. So I, I just that partnership's just astounding to me, man. I think that's the number one partnership on the grid at the moment. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I have this clip queued up, just talking about just how effective Sergio Perez was in this race, and he really played a massive, massive role mm-hmm. in Verstappen mm-hmm. and Red Bull's victory. So I'm I'm glad that you brought it up. Okay, good stuff, check out. Tell him to push. Let's get them. Yeah, the race is on. So yeah, that was just right after when Perez and then Verstappen, of course, went on the charge to go and get uh, the both Mercedes. But yeah, like you said, Shaker, I think Perez, it just made such a big difference because if we go back to that race in Spain and we want to do the mirror image of that race, they didn't have the Perez card in in Spain to play, but they did here in France. And we thought in the beginning, oh, Perez is struggling, but it was more just the early conditions of the race. The wind was very strong, but he was also conserving his tires because he went really long, but he just had so much performance on those worn set of tires. I mean, people are talking about uh, Lewis Hamilton and the performance he was able to get out of his worn tires and rightfully so because it was very impressive I think Perez's was even more impressive because had he had a couple more laps he probably would have picked off Hamilton too so I just think that was a big big factor and that's why I said that this is a momentum shift of a race because now Mercedes are feeling the pressure at tracks that normally they've dominated and they're also feeling the pressure from two Red Bulls instead of one yeah no absolutely and I thought it was very interesting as well on how he said, let's go get them. I mean, you can tell how much of a team atmosphere uh, that they have over at Red Bull this year, which is phenomenal. I mean, everyone's bought into the product and really want to get a constructor's championship. And obviously Max wants to get the, the, uh, the driver's championship, but you can tell this is a construction championship winning team, the way they've, they've worked together and the way they're, um, you know, that they're, they're bonding. Um, and you mentioned how Perez is so good. I mean, he's known for his tire conservation, the best on the grid for tire conservation. And he's done it again. I mean, it was one of those cases where he took care of his tires best out of anyone on the grid. And that includes over Lewis Hamilton. And yeah, like you mentioned, Lewis Hamilton had a great pace, but uh, Perez's tire conservation is just, he's so, I don't know what he does, but he's just so good at having pace and still keeping life in tires and it puts him in all these amazing positions it's done in you know throughout force india racing points um he's had you know amazing positions just from his his tire conservation and giving him you know podiums and stuff and you can see how that's paid off the experience of him knowing how to conserve his tire as well especially on a tough day a hot day in france and uh, it led him to another podium again yeah absolutely i mean like 
like you said, I think you said it best, Tyler. He's just he's the master of tire conversation. We give Lewis Hamilton the credit all the time for you know carrying through all these tracks, but you know a lot of time it's Lewis Hamilton is driving through clean air. He's driving up front, you know, be, being able to conserve those tri- uh, tires. And I wouldn't say a little bit easier, but uh, maybe easier to manage. Um, but I think, yeah, Sergio Perez just absolutely smashed it out of the park for this month. Just that, not not even him, the, you know, Max's drive to come back to the first place. Sergio did it in two stops. Just, just more about that. Um, uh, <laughs> so I, I just, just fantastic for Red Bull all weekend. Uh, I, I don't think they took a step wrong. And when they did, you know, they made up for it. So, and a lot of things were sort of against Red Bull this weekend. Remember we had the new flexi wing directive that came yeah. in. We had the increased tire pressures as well coming from the debacle in Baku. So it was kind of going to go either way maybe, but like you guys mentioned, Red Bull just executed so, so well. And I'm, I'm really happy to see that they've learned from their Barcelona mistake because this is the first normal racetrack we've been to since Barcelona. So we didn't know if those questions had been answered from Red Bull, but clearly they have. And I just liked how decisive they were in making the call to go to that two-stop strategy. And, I mean, moving on to Verstappen, his outlaps were just phenomenal. And the way he managed that race, too, just being able to close out that gap in the final 20 laps or so to catch Hamilton was just so, so brilliantly done. Championship quality. It was Hamilton-esque almost, if, if we really look at it that way. And it just shows his maturity, just shows how talented he is. Remember, this is very close between Mercedes and Red Bull. But again, it's it, that could have been Verstappen's third win in a row had he not had the tire failure. It's Red Bull's third together, altogether as a team, third win in a row. Now heading into two races at Austria, where it should be another track that's going to be friendly to the RB16B, this is a very pivotal triple header, so it's a big, big race for them. Yeah, I also... Go ahead, Shaker. So just quick comment, I also want to add, this is apparently the first time since 2017 that Hamilton hasn't won in like four races, something like that, four or five races, so I mean, it's 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 huge, it's, it's, but it's a huge hamper on Mercedes' plan for the rest of the season, right, so... Yeah, and, and to bring the point of two Austria races, Chris, that's you know Mercedes are are very annoyed that they lost you know a track that they would do very well at in Canada, or a track that they would do very well at in Turkey, and Red Bull get a track that they would do very good at and get a second Austria race, and you can tell Hamilton was upset that they got an, an extra Austria race. Um, but that's really have to has to play a factor. I think not a lot of people are talking about that just because it hasn't been brought up yet is that Red Bull kind of, you know, get another home field advantage um, with the, the second Austrian race. So it'll be really interesting to see what Mercedes do to try and counter uh, the Red Bull dominance that we've seen at, well, maybe not dominance, but the, you know, the upper hand that they will have at uh, in Austria in the upcoming week. So um, a huge part of this championship could lay down to that one race that was changed midway through the season. And it's still going to be close because, I mean, Mercedes have had quite a bit of success in this turbo hybrid era at the Red Bull ring. Last couple of years, not so much. Of course, Verstappen won in 2018 and 2019. But when we look at the characteristics of the track, you've got the long straights in sector one, and then obviously some medium to high downforce corners in the middle and third sector. So it's somewhat similar to France, but as we saw the setup that Red Bull employed in France, they were able to run 
you know, a little bit less downforce, which means they were slicker in a straight line, but they still had enough grip through the corners to give Mercedes trouble. And of course, it was more rear tire degradation, or excuse me, it was more front tire degradation instead of the rear tire degradation like it was in Spain. So it didn't hurt Red Bull that much. But another thing I wanted to add too was we've seen this season Mercedes struggle a lot for tire warm-up. And that, in my opinion, is down to not having the DAS that they did in 2020, which people aren't talking very much about, but I think is a huge, huge factor in why Mercedes is struggling in that department. And you saw Red Bull just, especially on the hard tire, able to turn it on a lot quicker than Mercedes. So that's another big factor. But it's going to be very interesting, these next two races. But it's a lot of points in a very small amount of time. And obviously, it's not going to decide the championship. It's a long, long way to go. But a very interesting shift in the championship, I think, because now, as we move on to the next subject, which is Valtteri Bottas, his struggles versus Perez's rise in form is a really, really big story, I think. So what did you guys make of Valtteri Bottas's weekend and his race? I think that it was obviously better than the last couple ones that he had, but his outburst on team radio, you know, telling his his strategist and essentially the team too, like, why didn't you put me on a two-stop when I'm telling you it's going to be a two-stop and just leaving him out there to struggle toward the end to finish fourth. I mean, it's. I feel bad for him because he's had a lot of uh, you know misfortune. He's been on the end of some Ferrari-like strategies, and then at the other hand, he underperforms sometimes too. But I feel for Valtteri. That's just basically what I'm trying to say. I'm uh, I'm Team Valtteri on this one, and the reason I say that is because I thought he actually had a good race. I actually thought that he was keeping pace with Hamilton the whole race. Um, he had a chance, you know, if his strategy was right for him to maybe squeak out a second place, if not a victory. Um, and I get his outbursts because I'd be frustrated too. He hasn't had a good season. He seems to be on the lesser end of every single strategy call that Mercedes make. And every single mistake that Mercedes make ends up being with Bottas usually. Um, so I can understand his frustration and I, it's, it's tough to see where they go from here because you can tell you have an upset driver, a frustrated driver, and you have a team that isn't treating him as, um, a number one driver or a driver that can contend for a championship. Right. And I think this is where we're really starting to see this relationship dissolve. Um, you can, you can sense it on the radio. You can sense it through. You know, the last, it's been building and building and now it's really kind of coming out. So, um, you know, I, I think Valtteri is still a phenomenal driver and he's had a lot of bad luck this year. Um, I think he could have one or two race wins this year if it wasn't for his bad luck slash bad strategy that has happened to him. Yes, he's been inconsistent at times, but he's still shown for the most part um, the Valtteri Bottas that got him that Mercedes seat. So, uh, lots of season to go to go ahead, you know, left. In the, like you said, there's still lots of races left, but um, you can tell that they're getting to the end of each of their, each of them are getting to the end of their sticks uh, with each other. Yeah. It's, it's very unfortunate. Um, I love Valtteri. I've been talking about Valtteri since I got into F1. I'm a big fan of his. And it almost seems like a lot of the races that, you know, he, he did lose this year, or he didn't perform well, and was majority, you know, caused by the engineers and the team itself, you know, or some sort of fault that happened in the vehicle that he had no control over. Uh, my one issue with this race, Valtteri and Lewis Hamilton was, was 
if Lewis got the preferred strat in Spain and that's what got them the win, why not, you know, as soon as Max pulls out into, you know, get his, go on that second stand, why not put Valtteri out? You know, you have Lewis ahead. You can keep Valtteri. You can put Valtteri back in, get the tires, and he can still race with Max. It would have been a different race. Max Guys. wouldn't have – sorry, go ahead. No, sorry. Just I, this is the one thing that Mercedes really annoy about me is that they keep this each team, each each driver gets the same strategy. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It, no, no matter where they are, they're getting the same strategy. So in this case, how Verstappen went on a two stop and Perez went longer on those tires, you know, Red Bull did their strategy with two different drivers, two different strategies with two different drivers. Mercedes has mm -hmm. to do the same strategy for each driver to treat them fairly, which I don't really understand because that's what has hampered them a few times this season. Yeah, it's it's I don't I didn't understand it. Like why you're it's in the end, Mercedes is trying to get a constructors championship as well as the world championship. You know, Lewis is already fighting for it. This if they had I mean if they did lose this week, that loss would have secured that they weren't gonna they weren't gonna be first screwed constructors for another few another couple of weeks. So why not try a different strategy and, you know, and see what happens. You could have competed with Max, you know, you could have Max might've ended up in second or third because now he doesn't have to worry about just catching up. He has to worry about fighting off Valtteri at the same time. You know, so it's, it, I think it would have been a slightly different race. Uh, but yeah, I just, I, why is he not getting those, some of those calls when he's, you know, showing that he's better uh, in, in the first half of that race, Valtteri looked like he was overperforming that car like he was carrying it through keeping up with Hamilton the only reason I feel like he stopped and uh backed up was because he wasn't getting clean air or probably a call from the strategist to be like hey let Lewis do this one you know so it's 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 a tough call um it's unfortunate um I really hope Valtteri is at Mercedes or some other uh you know team next year because he is a fantastic driver um hindered by a team that's not letting him succeed He's kind of gotten the Kimi Raikkonen treatment yeah, in his final years Ferrari, at Ferrari. Right? I mean, just when yeah. you guys were talking there, one of the things that popped in my head was Silverstone 2018 when he got the penalty for hitting Hamilton and he was you know, talking with the team saying, hey, we should serve it now or whatever the case was. And he heard something in the background from one of the other engineers and he's like, oh, so what? I'm not allowed to think now? Okay, fine. It was kind of like that with Valtteri in this race, which is like, why don't you guys ever listen to what I have, I think it was a race last year when he's like, put me opposite to Lewis and they put him on the exact same attire mm -hmm. uh, when he came in. So I agree with what you guys say too. I think some of the criticism in the last few races was was harsh because he's had three DNFs this year, two of which weren't his fault at all. I mean, you could throw Imola in there as well. Um, okay, fine. His pace wasn't there, which is why he was in that position. But regardless, wasn't his fault. And it's hurt them in the constructor standings because when you look at the championship right now, Red Bull are leading 215 points to Mercedes' 178. So it's kind of a, a big hurt for them. And, of course, for Valtteri in the championship, too, he's only fifth in the driver's standings uh, behind the likes of Lando Norris. And, then of course, Perez extended his lead for third in the championship. So he's had a tough year. A lot of rumors circulating that George Russell will be in at Mercedes for 2022, which I think they should keep Valtteri just because the partnership has worked so well mm -hmm. with Lewis Hamilton in the last couple of years. And, Yes, we understand he's not as great as a driver as Lewis Hamilton. We saw in this race in particular, he's not as kind to the tires as somebody like Hamilton is. But like Shaker said, you know, mm -hmm. he's still a phenomenal driver. And he's been able to beat Lewis a lot of times in this turbo hybrid era, which is something pretty impressive. So 
Yeah, I feel bad for the guy. One other driver to do it who's still on the grid. So, I mean, like, it's the fact that, you know, we compare Valtteri Bottas to Lewis Hamilton all the time, which I don't think is a comparison. You know, Lewis Hamilton is a world championship winner, and Valtteri could also be a world championship winner if he wasn't compared to his, you know, partnership, his partner every, every single race. Uh, I, I I would love to see Valtteri succeed and be the number one driver or the preferred driver and whatever team that he ends up on. But I, I, I yeah, I, I I hope to see Valtteri around for a you know, long time in F one. I agree. Yeah, and and just a great guy as well off track. So hopefully some some better fortunes for him in the next couple of races. So moving on then, we have what was a surprise result, actually, considering some of the early pace that they showed in the weekend, was Lando Norris in fifth place for McLaren, and then obviously his teammate, Ricardo, as well in sixth, which we'll get to next. But I really want to highlight Norris because I didn't expect him to finish that high this weekend, but something I think in the race with just how teams were dealing with the higher degradation and some of the trickier conditions just worked out for McLaren. But he is the only driver in 2021 to finish every single race in the points. And he's got, uh, hold on, I have it written down here. I believe it was five top, top five finishes. Uh, six, excuse me, six top five finishes out of seven races. Of course, to go with two podiums in Imola and Monaco. What a just a phenomenal weekend from Lando Norris. I mean, it was a quiet P5, but some awesome overtakes on Alonso going into turn 11. One of the trickier places to overtake on this track. Once again, he's been the driver of the year for me so far, and he's just continuing that form. Yeah, I would have to agree. I think he said just a phenomenal overtake. It was uh, it was really really nice to watch, um, and he, him and uh, Ricardo had a nice little battle too, which was which was nice uh, to see. But uh, he's been like you said, lights out throughout this whole season. And I mean, if McLaren get their car up to you know top tier level with Red Bull and Mercedes next year, I mean, watch out. I mean, he's on a mission. It, it could be very, very interesting. And Daniel Ricciardo the same way. I mean, we, we've seen how he's groomed very well into that McLaren car now. And he's racing um, like he's comfortable with the McLaren car, which he wasn't clearly earlier in the season. But it takes time. And you can tell that now he's uh, he's definitely very comfortable in that McLaren. So it's awesome to see that uh, papaya orange up the grid and, uh, and doing well once again. Um, I want to see how the development goes for the rest of the season with them because there is a clear gap to Red Bull in Mercedes. And I know they don't want to improve the car that much for this year and focus on on next year's car, but they have a real shot at securing number three in the constructor standings and really getting a you know a push to have you know multiple podiums uh, for the rest of the season. And I just wonder how they're going to approach that because you know they they have to take advantage of having such a great car this year as well as um, you know trying to balance preparing for next year. Yeah, I I agree, Tyler. Like they're the pace that they're setting is quite incredible from what we've seen in the last few seasons. Um, yeah, I, I think there is a big gap to Red Bull for sure. Um, what I do really like about them um, is. They're, I think they're next to Red Bull and, you know, their team strats and everything. I feel like they're one of the, you know, one of the few teams who who want both their drivers to finish for those points. You know, they're not concerned about the one driver. Um, the partnership between them has been look really good. Daniel Ricciardo, like you said, looks like he's improved quite a lot in that car. And it seems like, you know, they, 
they like to drive with each other. You know, they were driving side by side for half this race and, you know, to, going up and down, uh, taking over, uh, you know, somebody was ahead, the other person was ahead. So it's really nice to see that, that kind of rivalry slash like partnership. Cause you know, they're both racing to be the one ahead, you know? So it's, it's, it's a nice little rivalry that they have going, uh, the young gun versus, you know, Daniel Ricardo, who's a little bit, you know, I, I think he's one of the oldest on the grid next to Lewis Hamilton. Might be wrong about that, but yeah, it's, it's nice to see that little rivalry between them. Cause you know, they're, they're both fighting to be the number one driver at McLaren and right now it is Landon Morris. So yeah, it's, I'm very excited to see what McLaren does for the rest of the season and next year as well. It's funny that you say he's one of the older guys on the grid now, because like, yeah, I think he's only like 30 or 29 or 30. But... No, man, he's he was he was he was 30 in the first season of Drive to Survive. Was he? I, I'm fairly <laughs> certain. But it, the fact that is like, that's not really that old for F1. But the fact no, that we've not. seen so much. He's 31. Yeah. 31. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We've seen so much young talent come out through the ranks recently that like, yeah. like these like Ricardo, who you wouldn't think is that old mm-hmm. or who isn't that old is considered like an old wise veteran of the sport. Yeah. And it's like, just yeah. because he's been there for more than, you know, some of these guys were 12 years old when Ricardo started racing. I mean, like, so it's definitely Kimi and Alonzo, which are the oldest uh, uh, and the most experience. And then Lewis Hamilton and Vettel after that, then it'll be Danny, Danny Rick, I think. Right? Val, what's, how old's Valtteri? Well, has Valtteri just been in the sport less than uh, um, Danny, though? I don't know how old Valtteri is. Uh, I guess when did, just... when did Valtteri start? 2014? Way yeah, earlier, I think. 2013? They're both the same age. Same age, They're okay. both the same age, yeah. Um, he started from at Williams from 2013 to 2016. 2013, okay. Can you check how old Darren Ricardo is? <laughs> did you did you catch that yeah you didn't catch that eh, shaker no did you see f1 put out a video of um the years that tom has gotten darren mixed up with whatever driver he has i think it was carlos yeah, 2018 no. and 29 or 2019 2020 and then obviously um ricardo in, in 2021 no i had no idea i didn't oh. call that <laughs> yeah, no, it was during qualifying funny. right i think that's what he uh was what he said it uh, yeah, it was he was asking about if the medium tires were good to be start the race on. Right, right. Boy. <laughs> okay, Darren. I mean, Daniel. <laughs> I think he's done it in Spain. I believe he called him Carlos. Yeah, that's right. Yes, I do remember that one. Yeah. So Tom, uh, yeah, he just gets a little under pressure sometimes and forgets who he's talking to. Yeah, seriously. Okay, and Darren like, is the team strategist. I'm <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Yeah, I'm reading this right now. Uh, sorry, Darren is a McLaren race strategist back in the factory. There you go. <laughs> Phenomenal. Just pressed the wrong button. Yeah. The thing is, is that he uh, he's asking like <clears throat> a driver's question though. Like, are these tires good to start on in in, in the race? You think? So I don't know. I, like even when 2019 and 2020, it's too bad he didn't like Daniel didn't give a Carlos reaction to it and be like, "Okay, Tom, this is Darren." Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it was. It was just. I think it was very mute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, but... it seems like there was a lot of audio issues in this race. Like Lewis Hamilton mm. had it, Max had it. I heard it a few times with other drivers as well. But it seemed yeah. like there was a lot of audio issues in that race. Yeah, Max had it bad. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of radio mm-hmm. interference. Hmm. 
Yeah, it was weird. Oh, yeah. Nonetheless, though, yeah, good good race for Ricardo, and and it looked like uh, Ricardo of old when he sent it uh, down the inside on Alonso mm-hmm. and, and a couple yeah. other overtakes. So. It's nice to see, and and hopefully some of these more permanent tracks. I think the triple header will help a, a driver like Ricardo just being able to get more reps in the car. So so that was good. And then obviously you know relevant to to McLaren and a big weekend for them in the championship after a couple of weeks of course of Ferrari taking some pole positions and looking good on form. Ferrari just had a awful weekend and their tires just fell off a, a mountain cliff when it came to the race. Leclerc was way way down the field. Carlos Sainz out of the points as well. And now McLaren have jumped Ferrari for third in the constructors, 110 points to Ferrari's 94. So, yeah, just an unfortunate run of form there for Ferrari. It it caught a lot of teams out with the higher tire degradations and and the hotter track temperatures. So maybe the new Pirelli directives just didn't help Ferrari at all, but uh, a big blow to them in their championship after a a couple of decent weekends. Yeah, it really was. And you could tell really a blow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right you can tell how disappointed charles was too i mean he's like the, i think he i don't know if you listen to his post-race radio yeah um but he was saying just how bad that car was on mediums he's like oh the hards were were not bad but he's like i was I, it was impossible on the mediums which is not good um considering that you know we have austria coming up next which like you said is you know it has similar downforce requirements um and you know medium high downforce some medium high downforce um corners as well so concern for ferrari um which is really interesting they seem to be either on it or they're not even close to like what you know their potential could be so yeah we'll see how how ferrari go yeah i i I think you said it best tyler like they're either they're either on for the weekend or they're not you know like it's there's no there's no mid ground for ferrari at the moment like they can't just get get both cars in the top 10 it's either one or the other or you know they're both the cars are driving really well um which is weird like it seems like they can't quite get the right modes or you know whatever it is in their car to suit the track where you know it's it's weird it's it's very weird well it's like very anti-ferrari like usually they're they're good at that stuff but like this year they're good at low speed you know Mm -hmm. chassis using corners uh which Mm -hmm. is why they're so good um, you know, at, at Monaco and stuff, and I don't know what other tracks will have that on the grid this year. Abu Dhabi, which well, we'll have to talk about Abu Dhabi later, um, because they changed their track layout. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what are the? I don't know. I'm trying to think of what it was low, like Russia. They might be good at Russia. Yeah, big straight though, so it's yeah. a good good test of the power unit. I'm not sure, and like you guys mentioned, their inconsistency in, in that regard is good news for McLaren because McLaren have always sort of kept a, I mean, you can see Rolando Norris's run of form. It's, they don't really have those peaks and valleys. It's kind of just, you know, either they have a good weekend or they have a really, really good weekend where they end up on the podium or something. Mm -hmm. So I think that McLaren still kind of look like the favorites there for third place. And and yeah, those two pole positions were just kind of maybe uh, obviously very track specific as as we saw. So yeah, that was, that was a, a big hit for them in the championship. Um, now, yeah, we got just a couple of other things to, to get to uh, as, as we wrap up the show that some of it's actually not related to the French Grand Prix, but I wanted to say that my driver of the day, the one that I would have voted for personally, obviously Verstappen was brilliant, Sergio Perez was great, but I would give it to Lance Stroll. 
starting P19 on the grid after uh, you know getting knocked out in Q1. Of course, with the red, <laughs> funny, th- funny enough that we got red flags in the most wide open track on the calendar. <laughs> Anyways, uh, I thought he did a very, very good race. Both Aston Martins actually were very good on that hard tire, and they were going with the no stop strategy. You know, they they probably could have finished the race if it wasn't for mandatory pit stops. But I think Stroll just carved his way through the field really, really nicely to finish P10. Very good racecraft was on top of the AMR 21, and the strategy was good. Aston Martin continuing a good run of form here, collecting some more points. Wasn't a lot, obviously, with Vettel and P9, but still, I think overall, considering that they were expecting to struggle more, they finished ahead of Alpine, who struggled, and uh, or at least Esteban Ocon. So I think it was just a very, very solid drive for Lance Stroll after it was a difficult Saturday for him. Yeah, I would agree too, Chris. And I was like, Aston Martin did have a, a very solid weekend in terms of uh, recovery drives, really. Um, they didn't look good at the start of, you know, in practice and um, qualifying. Obviously, they had their their issues, um, but racecraft was very good. And like you mentioned with the hard tires, they went very long on those and showed that they have good uh, degradation skills uh, on that car, um, which is awesome to see that they're starting to kind of figure out their car a little bit more to suit whatever track they'll be going at. So um, awesome from Aston, like you mentioned, and a good drive from Lance Stroll. Um, driver of the day, that's a tough one. I don't know. I might give it to Lewis, honestly, um, which is kind of sad, but um, it's it's good. Like I like your I like your Lance Stroll, your Lance Stroll hit there. Mine is Yuki Sonata. He started <laughs> from the pit, uh, came in 13th place. So, you know, <laughs> good That's, run, too. Uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> He's got to uh, calm down a little bit during qualifying, yeah. but <laughs> other yeah, than he's, that. He's shaking that yeah. Alpha Tori butt too much. Oh, my yeah. God. That was crazy. That's crazy to see how much that, I mean, how did that not shake something to shreds? I mean, it was crazy how much that car was moving. Um, yeah. And, of course, like with at Paul Ricard, the colored paint that you see is very abrasive to try and slow those cars down. And I think that's what really made the, the car shake so much, just how abrasive that track surface is. Yeah. But I, think I also you... want to mention it's the first time that uh, Pure Gasly has been... Sorry, am I on mute? No, nope, oh, you're good. No. Go ahead. I was going to say, I just want to mention that Pure Gasly's first home race after he got to first place and a podium back in France. So I'm sure he got a really warm welcome mm. there. Mm. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's a big moment for Pierre Gassi and he ended up what coming in seventh place. Yeah. He has uh, solid race as well. Yeah. He did. He had a really good race. So yeah. Highest, highest finishing Frenchman on the grid, of course, mm-hmm. after Esteban Ocon failed to make the points, but yeah, good thing bringing up Pierre Gassi, just another a good haul of points for Alpha Tauri. And it's, it's where you, obviously it's difficult with having a rookie teammate like Sonoda, with some of the mistakes that he's making is that you don't have that second car up there because they probably could have possibly got both cars into the points and obviously helped the championship challenge against Alpine and Aston Martin. But Pierre Gasly just carrying the team as well. And he's in there for driver of the year conversation too. Uh, there's a couple of drivers up for, the, for up for that. And I think you have to include Gasly in that conversation as well. So yeah, another another very good race from him. And the final driver I wanted to talk about was also George Russell, another driver we could have given driver of the day to finish 12th for Williams on merit, no safety cars, no red flags, nothing like that, just on pure pace and good strategy, which was surprising for me because I thought that their wind-sensitive car would really struggle, especially on the Mistral straight, but he did a fantastic job and said it himself that it was probably his best race for Williams ever. 
you know, it's nice to see the, the Williams up there a little bit more. And you can see they're slowly starting to get better. Even Latifi was half decent in qualifying. Um, it's too bad he didn't squeak out into uh, Q2 there. But it's uh, the car slowly getting there. And I'm excited to see what they're going to bring in 2022 with the new regulations um, and, and to see how that car will change or, or how their position will change. And uh, maybe they can actually get this one right and they're not chasing the whole, you know, for the next three years. They're, <laughs> uh, they're trying to, you know, actually get ahead of the ball. So it'll be interesting to see. But hopefully um, next year we can see Williams fighting for points consistently rather than um, you know, trying to slug out a Q1. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, all right. Well, I think that's about the only other thing, maybe if you guys caught it, was obviously the two hash drivers coming together again, Mick Schumacher mm. and Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> uh, what did you think of that overtake from Mazepin on Schumacher, which forced Mick to go off into the runoff? I believe it was turn three. Is that considered an overtake? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, on track? I mean, technically, <laughs> but if I were to give skill points for it, I'd probably say no. I mean, uh, it, it was 50-50, but I guess it was a little... It was aggressive for sure, but I mean... Especially I guess on we, your teammate. Yeah, we expect yeah. nothing less, right? For 19th position. For 19th position. Hey, um, I, mean, I don't know. I like I <clears throat> Nikita might be getting desperate just to finish above Mick for a couple races. I don't know. It, it's yeah, it's it's tricky. I don't know. I wouldn't want to be working at Haas right now. <laughs> I will say this, you know, like like every week, he's looking like he, he he's he's getting better in that car. So I will give him props for that. He that's probably one of the best races he's had reminder um, he is signed for next year too and he's probably yeah. caused less damage actually that's true mix racking up those bills <laughs> yes. yeah that's very true yeah he doesn't have to worry he's got a teammate that owns the company so true <laughs> <laughs> just had to throw that in there so yeah but uh maybe that was tactics from mick schumacher he's like you know what i want to get into q2 so i'm just gonna crash it right now yeah hey, <laughs> we should penalize him yeah <laughs> yeah of all people right yeah uh all right before we get to the the final two things we want to cover in this episode 109 anything else from the french grand prix that i might have missed in the race notes no nothing for me Excellent. Okay, so before uh, we guys, we are running a little bit short on time for tonight. I wanted to talk about this because you guys sent me this. I wouldn't have seen it before I came on the air. Was we have, uh, I guess, leaked images or or I don't know who this is from because uh, obviously it's from Motorhead on Twitter. Uh, you guys can check it out for yourselves. But this is apparently first real shots of what the 2022 F1 car is going to look like, and. I don't know where this is. I don't know where it's coming from, but uh, this, I think, is what they're going to look like next season. So, uh, what do you guys what, think? What? What? I didn't see this running. What is? What is going on? It's a mustache. What, what is this wheel thing? <laughs> it's it's a what mustache. Is this wheel wheel bullshit. What what is going on? Here? Yes, that. <laughs> that's oh, that's um, it's eyebrows. Um, no, there that goes over the, the wheels to help with the. Um, lack of dirty air coming off the tires so it's, it's supposed can, to reduce dirty air coming off the front tires can the drivers even see their tires i don't know i don't know we'll have to see once we get a, a visor cam maybe um, so yeah uh, so this front wing is modeled after chase carry's mustache as you can see here <laughs> with the 
little <laughs> wing flaps. <laughs> yeah, I, this is I a weird one for me. I think it I, looks phenomenal. I like. I really like. That's something I want as a poster. If there was a better livery for it. Yeah. I I don't know how I feel about it until I see the wheels on it. Uh, I want to see how it sits on the ground. And I think I said it. I didn't realize Batman was driving an F1 next year. <laughs> but like, it looks like the Batmobile to me right now. And I think that's just because there's no wheels on it. And also, there's, yeah. Oh, sorry, Shaker. I thought you keep on. No, I'm done. Okay, sorry. <laughs> didn't mean to interrupt you. Um, <laughs> I just want to say that front wing is massive. Yeah. Like, yeah. That thing is huge. Could you imagine like that, like falling off your car or, or like trying to change that or? Um, you know, getting into contact and that breaking off, like you're gonna have to bring a, a, a dump truck to go pick up the parts. <laughs> yeah, and obviously this that chassis is gonna be dependent on per like yeah uh, per per team, right? So that's probably gonna change as well. Yeah, um, look at look at the radiators too, like how it's yeah it's that, yeah it's really interesting. Uh, I know I was mentioning this to you guys before the we started the podcast, but maybe some of our viewers and listeners will know and they can tell us, but I'm curious about the DRS. Is there DRS in 2022? And I know we should probably know this as a podcast, but I really couldn't find anything on it. So if anyone can tell us an answer, that'd be fantastic because the rear wing looks very, very aggressive. I'm interested to see how DRS would actually work on that rear wing. So if there is, then great. Please let us know. If there isn't, also please let us know. Yeah. We didn't have time to read the whatever 100-page document of the technical rules for 2022. Yeah. <laughs> Too much information just flowing around. But yeah, <laughs> let us know what you think of, of the look of that car. And I don't know if any more information is going to come out by the time we release this video in terms of where this was, where this car is. Is this a spec of 2022? We don't know, but this is just something that I think I believe, Tyler, you found it and posted it in our group chat. So very interesting. But if that's what it looks like, I like, I think Shaker, you were talking about what it looks like with the rims, you know, what is it going to look like with the 18 inch rims? And also yeah. if people, if I don't know if they're going to cover the rims, because we've seen at the Pirelli tire test this year, uh, cars run without wheel covers and cars with wheel covers. So very interesting, but obviously a huge shift coming in the technical regulations and, and, and that. So, uh, yeah, that might be the first look at, at a spec car. I know the teams are busy underway with the 2022 rules. So yeah, very, very curious to see how they're going to look. And the final one, Tyler, you wanted to bring up was the Abu Dhabi track changes that just got released or announced just a couple of hours ago, I believe. And they're hoping to promote overtaking in Abu Dhabi, but uh, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work, but it's a good choice to, to try some changes because obviously that track is a difficult one for racing. Yeah, I, I don't mind their, um, the track changes. Now, they got rid of a few corners, so it's just, like, if you look at it, the, a couple of the slow, you know, wavy sections are now just full-on U-turns. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if those are going to be maybe banked a little bit, if they're going to keep those flat. Um, I'll be really interested to see how that actually turns out. Um, but, yeah, it should lead to more overtaking opportunities um, or more, you know, better ways to, to cut back. Um, obviously take, I think they get, get rid of it in total, like three, three or four quarters on the actual circuit. So it'll be interesting to see how it actually lays out, but I don't mind them trying things. Um, Abu Dhabi is just always known as like the party race and, you know, the end of the season doesn't usually mean much unless it's, you know, 2016. Um, so yeah, good for them for trying something new. 
Yeah, for sure. And of course, that will be quite a few months away now. I, with... I haven't seen the changes, so I'm not going to add anything to Sam's story. Fair enough. No problem. <laughs> we'll revisit when we get there. Yeah. Yeah. Pl- plenty of time for you to research for, for every single quarter. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do want to mention quickly, though, um, before we end the podcast, and that is just kudos to Kevin Magnuson for leading his first ever IndyCar race. Um, he did retire very, very quickly after with a mechanical issue. Uh, but the F1 drivers are doing bits on the IndyCar circuit. Grosjean with a pole and then uh, a couple of races ago also had a great qualifying session and finished P5, I think, this race at uh, Road America, I want to say. And yep. um, uh, Marcus Erickson winning uh, the last race for IndyCar, his first win in about eight years. So wow. good for the, uh, the F1 drivers killing it on the IndyCar scene. Yeah, and Kevin Magnuson killing it in IMSA as well. He won mm. his his first race in a lot of years just a few weeks ago too. So yeah, awesome to see. And I was really excited to see him get that chance. And hopefully he'll get more chances like that in the future. But yeah, good for Magnuson, Grosjean. Uh, happy to see those guys doing well. So anything else from you guys for uh, the 2021 French Grand Prix or anything else? I think zoom, that's zoom, it. Zoom. <laughs> let's, let's, let's go Italy, Euros. Let's go Italy. <laughs> oh, yeah, man, right. I gotta, yeah, I gotta start following the Euros more this year. I just, I don't know, the whole 2020 and being in 2021 just threw me off so much. <laughs> yeah, it is weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's busy, right? We've got triple header yeah. of F1 races, and then, of course, uh, the knockout stages will be starting soon for Euros. Yeah. And don't forget, the Olympics are starting in, like, three weeks, so. Oh, I totally NBA. forgot. NBA playoffs are happening, so there's, there's a lot in sports going on right now, which is awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. And even with all that going on, we thank you very much for taking the time to watch or listen to our podcast. This is will do it for episode 109 of the Backmarkers F1 Show podcast. We really appreciate you guys listening or watching. If you did enjoy the podcast, give this video a thumbs up on YouTube and also just share it around with your friends or your F1 community forums on Facebook or on Reddit. And yeah, just get our, get our podcast and channel out there. More people that see it. Obviously, the more content that we can get out to you guys and and more we can build the Backmarkers community here. So coming up, of course, in the next couple of days' time will be the preview for the 2021 Styrian Grand Prix. And then, of course, it will be another race uh, the following week, which will be called the Austrian Grand Prix. So that will be a very, very decisive and interesting two weekends there. But you can stay tuned to the Backmarkers F1 Show channel as we look ahead to those two races. And we will be back after the Styrian Grand Prix to recap all of the action in Spielberg. Tyler and Shaker, I thank you very much for joining me tonight. We really appreciate you guys' input, and we appreciate all of you out there watching as well. Thanks again, and we'll see you soon. Take care.